Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ed Greer. I'm producer Bill. And today, we are doing a bit of a companion episode to our recent Greatest Weapons episode. A hero is nothing, nor is a villain, I guess, without their technological apparatus. And so today, we are talking about the greatest vehicles in pop culture. Oh, man, this one is going to be fun because, uh, like I was telling you offline, it is sort of a, it, it will become a philosophical conversation. Sure. As we go forward, it will become a philosophical conversation. Well, I mean, um, a, ve- a vehicle is so much about like your entire world, right? How, mm-hmm. what, is, what is the scope of your activities? What is the nature of the world that you have to operate in? You know, how much. Is it an offensive versus defensive versus stealth versus heavily armed thing? You know, all everything that goes into telling your story as a character is encapsulated in the vehicle. Yep. And just like the weapons, they're emblematic of the type of character the person is. Mm. You know, if there are some because uh, there's like, uh, let's just start where it starts uh, sure. for me. I think one of the first times I saw a car and I was like, wow, that's that guy's car is Mad Max's Interceptor. Oh, yeah. I was like, this motherfucking car is the shit. That's a great one, too, because like that was before we got to the Tim Burton's Batmobile of it all, where it's like you're just completely making up the body of a car from scratch. Like the mm-hmm. interceptor's cool because it's like someone took a car that you could see out on the street, but just like jacked it up with steampunk, you know, crazy machinery and that big old engine popping out the hood. Mm-hmm. And you're and suddenly it's like, hmm, it's like car plus. You know, it's like there's something off, there's something a little bit over the top, but it's still just a car, or is it? You know, it, it hits that part of your brain. Well, it hits that part of your brain because I think also these vehicles will be emblematic of the job sometimes mm. that these characters do. Mm. And so in this case, this guy's job as like super cop, you know, the one of the last frontiers of cops where it's like, and that's, an, I just got to say one of the greatest things about Mad Max. And I'm talking about way back just before even, you know, uh, just the very first Mad Max where it was like society was crumbling, but it still existed. Sure. Even then that society, it poses like this sort of kind of how the police are in Brazil. I'm not casting aspersions, but I've seen the sidearms of police officers in Brazil and they have like submachine guns and sidearms and their long guns are like striker auto shotguns and shit. You know what I mean? Like everything's graduated. You know what I'm saying? And like you fucking do a crime in Dubai and they chase your ass down. It's in a Lamborghini or some shit, you know, like there's just super graduation of what is needed to deal with the crime of the world. It's like the, the car communicates that like his sidearm communicates that like his one piece of like almost judge Dreddian shoulder armor communicates that it yeah. all communicates that this is a dangerous world with uh, we need all these special shits just to get by. Yeah. I, I'm going to also say it brings up and we're going to get philosophical early. It brings up this question of like, our enemies are so bad that we need the technological advantage. You know, that sort of uncomfortable question mm-hmm. about escalation and about like what is justified force. And Mad Max definitely exists at a time, especially that first Mad Max, when 
pop culture really started indulging in the dirty Harry, you know, Charles Bronson, um, just vengeance on the street type characters. And the fact that Mad Max was doing it with this like tank muscle car, just, it, you know, it it's a step toward dehumanizing your villains and your criminals because it's like, they're such monsters. I need this beast of a car to go after them. I mean, yeah. And, I, but I think that's the whole thing about the superheroic or the mythic hero or the Western hero. We that's always kind of, we, we always kind of do that. They, they, their horses are bigger. Their guns are longer. They could shoot us from farther away. They've got an army and we're just some peasants and two natives that choose to be down with us, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's always that sort of thing. But I do see the fact that like, when you look at something like uh fury road it's interesting when somebody's vehicle is stripped away from them yeah. you know yeah uh, because one of the first things you see in that movie is like fuck your interceptor it sucks it's blown up it, it flipped a thousand times no 100 percent. and i mean just the fact then that they really do amp up the vehicles in that movie where now you've got these entire fleets of these trucks that are just like nightmare machines you know, not only is it a cool visual, but suddenly it places the interceptor in this milieu where that car is just barely getting by because things have gotten so crazy. Yes, exactly. And uh, so that's that's interesting that uh, as far as cars that are like that, all the muscle cars of cinema um, all the, and, and shows it just from... I hate to say it, but the goddamn General Lee, baby, <laughs> the, the General you gotta, Lee. You got to oh. give it its props. Oh, my God. As like a car. And the car, maybe the car is not racist. Maybe the car is like, look, man, I was primered out and I was cool. I had a bunch of Mexican guys and black fellers working on me. We all had a good time. And then I get sold to these, I get sold to these goddamn hillbillies. They mm -hmm. put this propaganda on me and they're just jumping me over shit. My suspension on my back. <laughs> they broke my back. <laughs> I buy it. That's now canon. 100%. <laughs> the General Lee is a conscious objector in the Civil War. <laughs> but, that's, but that's why so i mean this also gets to what makes the general lee so cool but like that's why the general lee kind of felt like a bucking bronco it kind mm -hmm. of felt like you know they barely mm -hmm. had control of it because it was constantly just trying to be like fuck these duke boys you know <laughs> i'm going back to detroit <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Oh, shit. Uh, it's so good <laughs> muscle cars are so funny because it's like like blade has a mm. dope ass muscle car yeah uh and i think blade's car was was right there's this and we're going to talk about it but there's this step below interceptor mm. and two steps below let's say uh batmobile or something sure you know what i'm saying like it's an icon it's an iconic vehicle but it doesn't quite have that specialness of these other ones. But like Blade's car to me was just like, I want something that blends in in my urban environment. I want something fast. I want something with some real zero to 60 pick up and go. And if I hit something with this motherfucker, I want him to feel it. Mm -hmm. So that's what the car that he chose. Yeah. It felt utilitarian is what I'm saying. There's also something heightened about it because from one point of view, if you're trying to operate like in the shadows of an urban environment, you want the least conspicuous car available to you. <laughs> and my mind kind of goes to something like the Bourne movies where it's like, oh yeah, we're going to carjack a, a, a Fiat or a, 
a bug or whatever it was in that first one, or like we're just going to be driving sort of off the shelf uh, SUVs or whatever and just pushing them to the limit. I mean, that feels a little bit more like somebody trying to operate in the shadows of an urban environment. But like with Blade, it's kind of branding, baby. It's it's a little <laughs> bit like you see that car and vampires start pissing down their own legs. Well, yeah. Now you got to you have to respect the guy who's not hiding. You know mm-hmm. that there is something about that. Like he, and if you think about it, all the powers that were going against him, you would think he would try to hide more. You but would, he yeah. was just like, eh, I'm just you know I'm Yojimbo. I'm in the town and I'm no, I can't hide from anybody because I'm too dope. <laughs> it is funny when we talk about, you know, these cars specifically, sort of like these hyped up cars, it all does have shades of the Western hero. I think you were right mm-hmm. on when you when you brought that up because you think of the Western hero on, you know, it's it's the Lone Ranger uh on oh, what was it? Tornado? No, Tornado was uh, Zorro's horse. But yeah, uh, uh, silver. Silver. Yeah, the Lone Ranger rode silver. But yeah, just that idea that like you're you're larger than life hero that's bringing justice to a lawless place has to have like the big magnificent steed that can run faster and and leap higher than any other horse in the territory. (laughs) That's what these cars are. Yeah, uh, dude. Well, let's talk since. We cannot see into the minds of horses. Mm. I I respect them as as creatures, and they're just as valuable as anybody else. I haven't ridden. I haven't subjected a horse to my fat ass since Boy Scout camp. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I am a friend of the equine. Okay, but (laughs) but but since we do not know too much about their personalities and all this kind of shit. Let's treat them as vehicles for the purpose of this conversation. And let's sure. talk about some of the best fucking horses. Cause like silver is a bad motherfucking horse. Yeah. That horse is bad. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was always sort of the, the lone rangers coolest gimmick was like all the shit that he did from that horse. And whether it's like leaning off the side of the horse as he's shooting his gun, or whether it's the horse pulling up next to a train so he could jump onto the train as it's moving. Mm-hmm. Like, that horse was really kind of his deus ex machina. Yep, yep, yep. He could get yeah. him out of he could get him out of anything. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. he's he 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 could get out of anything. So I love that fucking horse. Um, I also love sort of. I mean, I never was a Black Beauty person. Yeah. I always thought Black Black Beauty was really maudlin. You know what I'm saying? Like the parts that I could could get from it. You know, yeah. from different synopses and different seeing different movies. They've done five thousand movies of that bullshit. Can I, can you I tell you something? I was <laughs> devel- I was developing a Black Beauty series a, a couple of years ago with the company I was with at the time, uh, because yeah, I think at this point it's in the public domain, and so we were just trying to like you know find a title that people would recognize and like put a modern spin on it. But yeah, Black Beauty has been adapted to death. Dude, some like urban. Okay, I got it. I got it. Here's the pitch: Urban Cowboy. <laughs> Bet you guys didn't think of that shit. Those uh-huh. fucking like those dudes in Philadelphia. They're like like they they're, they they're like black dudes, and they ride along with the Rough Rider dudes on the ATVs and shit. Well, that whole the, thing. The fucking Compton just, Cowboys, by the way. Yeah, all that yeah. shit. All yeah. any of that stuff, any amalgamation they're in. Just like yeah, we 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 regulate any steal of the property. <laughs> it was a clear black night. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> just any any of that shit with with the but black beauty is like 
oh man, this motherfucker's trying to take my horse. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. My horse has to go off to like war, off to fucking the Lipperzoner Academy. Like, well, how the fuck did the oh, beautiful black beauty horse like this get down in the ghetto? These guys don't have the rights to this horse. So they're they repossessing the horse. <laughs> they're repossessing the fucking horse. Like, how'd these ghetto kids get this horse? But it's really this kid's like, you know. Since, yeah. since we're marketing this to white people too, it's his birthright, right? It's his birthright uh-huh. from a long time ago. He was willed down this horse, but these rich fuckers are trying to countermand it and they're trying to keep him in the fucking horse apart. And it's like, it's like, uh, it's like Black Beauty slash over the top. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of don't mind it. Like, there's something there. <laughs> Oh, that's why they pay me the medium bucks. Dude, <laughs> let's, get, let's get these projects going during the writer strike, dude. We gotta, we gotta 100%. strike Black, while the iron is hot. <laughs> Black Beauty is an inner city drama. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> oh, no, shit. but I, my my feeling on horses has always been I kind of love when horses are more vehicle than character. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and this is, I think, a very specific personal thing because Lord knows there's a lot of horse people out there who love them some horses. But for me, it's like the more it becomes even something like secretariat, where it's like, it's about that horse and how the horse lives and the relationships with the horse and blah, blah, blah. Like give me silver or even give me shadow facts from Lord of the Rings, like Gandalf's Mm. big ass white horse. Mm -hmm. I mean, who I think in the books was like even more badass than he was in the movies where he himself had his own legend, you know, the the white stallion mm-hmm. that no one could tame and blah, blah, blah. Like, I love a horse that's really more just like an extension of the hero's power, which I think is where you get into the muscle cars, right? Where it's like, we no longer have to worry about this thing as its own living being. Like, it can now just be sort of this symbol of power or whatever the symbol might be. Motherfucking horsepower. Yeah, man. It, it, it represents so many horses. Look how many horses. You thought Prince Valiant was tight. That motherfucker only had one horse. Blade got 500 horses under the hood. Uh-huh. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's a really big correlation. I, I also think um, I got to give props to Tornado, though. Tornado. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh you know, Zorro's horse because he did have personality and he did have to kind of talk to him nice and be cool. And sometimes he would just kind of fuck up on you. And I kind of like that. That's why one of my favorite horses is the horse from the movie Tangled, which is like a really weird thing to bring into our nerd conversation here. (laughs) But like in that Disney adaptation of Rapunzel, there was this horse who had like this very antagonistic relationship with the male hero because the horse was essentially stolen from like the palace guards by this, you know, Han Solo type uh, Flynn rider. And so as they were traveling with this horse, the horse himself was always trying to like arrest or trap the main character. And so they had to kind of come to a, a mutual understanding. And if you're going to play a horse as a character, I say go the full Disney route and anthropomorphize it. And like that horse has its own goals and has its own personality and it's prickly mm-hmm. as shit. I'll, I'll take that. I love that. Well, you know, it's funny that you hardly ever for my money in this media that I consumed, I never really saw that ever except one, one shining time. Mm. And it was the horse 3030 from brave star. Now brave star was a really it was like imagine the same people that made um, He Man, mm-hmm. 
Okay. They made a show exactly like it with a Native American sheriff. You can look at it while I'm describing uh, it. Yeah, I'm looking Native it American, right Native American sheriff in the planet of New Texas. <laughs> and he was the marshal. And he dressed Holy like a marshal, but he had like a ponytail. I'm and seeing he, it. And he had superpowers. He would say, strength of the bear, bear, bear. And he would become a bear. I mean, he would he would uh, have the strength of a bear. He would say, speed of the puma. And he would get really fast. Eyes of the hawk. And he could see really far. So on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his horse was named 3030. And it was a robot like no excuse me cybernetically enhanced or cyborg cyborg horse yeah, it was it a is, cyborgs so not a, i mean it is a cyborg anthropomorphized horse and oh, honestly yeah. this thing is kind of frightening even in like the children's hanna barbera cartoon style that it's rendered in but dude, and, and if you if you keep looking at his pictures, he can turn into a regular horse. Brave Star used to ride him all the time. Oh, okay. But okay. he could also turn into yeah this weird standing man creature. Yes. Uh, and and do stuff. So it's like he and he had his own personality, but obviously he did what the fuck Brave Star wanted him to do. But he just happened to want to do that because they're serving justice together, brother. Sure. And he and he had a big ass gun. That was his thing. You know what? He was very Chewbacca like. If Chewbacca could like talk, I could see that. Just looking at the pictures, I could see that. I mean, this is wild. Like, Dude. the designs on this stuff is crazy. Yes, and they fought like um, undead zombie cowboy aliens and shit out in the desert. And like, I think one, I think the main villain was kind of a ghost or something. I don't know. I might be fucking that part up. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it was it was crazy, dude. And Brave Star is one of those things where it's like, you know, those cartoons that you. You feel as though you made them up because nobody remembers them type yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah, Brave yeah. stars like that. So like, I'm glad the internet exists. So people don't think I'm fucking crazy. I would have I, honestly like this. Maybe I was too young, but this passed me by completely. I have no, no yeah. memory of this at all. Dude, you would have missed this for probably four years, four or five. Okay. You would have had to been a, almost like a baby adopting that. And it didn't last long enough for for it to be shoved out your throat in that manner, especially with the media available at the time. Well, sure, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't selling that VHS like hotcakes. No, no. Oh, but so as far as other animals, I also think that most of the other creatures that you ride, like fucking Falagor, I guess, from, from <laughs> a never-ending story, which sure. a lot of people will be mad at us for not mentioning, is pretty cool. He seems kind of invincible. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I, I don't really find that type of character that interesting. I really like um I I almost wish that somebody like um I guess uh, people who ride dragons, I think that those dragons and how to train your dragon, those yeah. are pretty cool. Yeah. You know? Oh, Especially no. as an honorable mention, because they're sick as fuck. I went to DreamWorks Studios to do a comedy show and I joke with them about Trading Dragon 3. They were talking about like uh let me guess. There's some dragons <laughs> and they're <laughs> untrainable. <laughs> and we have to figure out how to train them. No, but honestly, like um, Toothless, uh, the main, the main, the, that nightshade dragon that mm-hmm. they've got, that character design is so sick. And yeah. the animation is so unbelievable throughout all three of those movies. And that character's personality being like 
a little bit of a puppy, but also a little bit of a cat and like a little bit of its own thing. Mm -hmm. Like that was an achievement, man. As far as, yeah, as far as riding animals go, he is top tier. Yep, absolutely. So, all right, if we're going to segue from animals to back to the metal, uh-huh. what what if you were going to say one that just pops right into your mind is I say, look, vehicle, what pops in your mind that we haven't talked about yet? I mean, the first one in my head is Silver Surfer's surfboard. That is, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's just, it, this is why I love talking about vehicles and pop culture you know i'm not like a gearhead and look Mm -hmm. there is a shit ton to appreciate just about some really kick-ass car or really souped up car or even in the case of like the dark knight tumbler right like this weird custom built tank car hybrid that can jump like all that is really cool but like i just don't go in for the mechanics of of you know the fucking pistons and the whatever the fuck. Like, I don't care. But the Silver Surfer surfboard, like, this is a thing that we all have a frame of reference for, but, like, what if you could master it and not only fly, but, like, fly through fucking space on invisible energy waves that permeate everywhere and go faster than light? And, like, that is dope as shit. The idea that like taking a means of conveyance that we all have firsthand experience with and you know, I mean, this is the thing about the surfboard, like, you know, the feeling of freedom that really mastering a surfboard or a skateboard or a snowboard really gives you, right? Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's a high, that's like, that's a really sort of superhuman feeling in and of itself. And then you slap some sci-fi nonsense on top of that, like Mm -hmm. sign me up all day, man. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, the thing that is really interesting about it to me is it's, Again, it's the genius of Jack Kirby, you know, the apocryphal story or, or probably the truth that he just sort of drew that character in the corner. Like, well, he needs he's a big guy. He needs a herald, you know, so I, <laughs> yeah. I drew a guy and he's on a surfboard because it's cool. You know, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. he's, he's surfing <laughs> and it's just like, God damn, that's that's just genius. And when it gets into all these things of like, I'm a Star Trek head. So just and everybody's watched Star Wars. So they they understand a certain jumping to light speed and the and the you know you jump into like a dimension of light and mm. you come out at another point in space or whatever the fuck or whatever streaking by you or whatever whatever time dilation happens when you're going that fast what, whatever way you want to render it it's just amazing to be doing that outside of a vehicle yes. or to be part of like to be to be experiencing outer space against your very skin and yes. to be going faster than light it's just the 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 degree of magnitude that that is cooler than being in a spaceship is unfathomable. One hundred percent, one hundred percent, and and it's also somehow cooler than like just being able to fly at light speed. Yes, right? yes. Like, there's even something about that. Like it feels like a cheat code, right? It's like mm-hmm. all right, so Superman can fly faster than light, and he's going to go and visit this other planet, like. That feels like, well, you're just sort of programming in a cheat code and he's just going from A to B. And like the process of getting from A to B is almost unimportant. 
Mm-hmm. And, and and even flying of its, in and of itself, as much as we've all had the dreams where we could fly and there's something really magical and amazing about that, like once you take that out of the familiar milieu of like flying over a city or flying over a mountain and now it's just you're flying in space, it just feels a little bit like there's nothing to, to for your mind to grab onto. But just the simple act of I'm standing on this thing and I'm balancing on this thing and it's accelerating me under my feet, suddenly it becomes this tactile experience. Mm-hmm. And then it's like you're not flying, you're not moving at light speed, your vehicle is moving at light speed. But because it imbues you with this power cosmic, suddenly you're feeling these very alien energies flowing through you and around you. And it's like, there's a tactileness and like a way that grabs the imagination that just flight alone, whether with a green lantern ring or whatever the fuck, just, it doesn't, it doesn't capture it. There's something about the surfboard. Dude. And you know, what's really fucking sad. I think we're going to end up dissing the green Lantern ring again, because it is not one of the greatest vehicles. It is not one of the greatest weapons. It sucks balls. And it's just so inferior to something even. And the thing is, what's funny is somebody screaming at their device going like that is fucking dumb. (sighs) It's just, it's just a stupid surfboard. Like he's in space, but that's the dumbest shit ever. And I will concede that gladly because it doesn't have to, it's not about it not having to make sense. It makes the sense of the fact that space, the closest we can approximate to it is an ocean. Sure. And so the surfboard conveyance just, I don't even know, Kirby Kirby was thinking on 100 levels higher than even he knew he was thinking on. And that's not to denigrate him at all. That's to say, like, he was super genius. So, like, somewhere in there, he's going like, yeah, space is an ocean. And you surf on the energy out there and you hit like a tube and go super way faster than light and all this kind of shit like that. Like you just, it, whatever way you could grok that, that's what he was sort of thinking. And that shit is dope as fuck. It just there's, is. There's, yeah. There, it's, it's doper than all that shit that they're, they're saying it's not as good as dude. Honestly, it's, it's doper than that. And I, I think also there's something soulful about surfing. Yeah. I think what, what little people know about surfing and and to a to a lesser extent, and I do mean lesser extent, skateboarding. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. There's a soulness to surfing and skateboarding and snowboarding, I guess. But like, yes, there's a soulness to it. There's a the there. I'm, I'm specifically the ocean part, though. The feeling of the swells, the that even when the motherfuckers get attacked by sharks, they rise up. Sometimes the, the there won't be a wave, but there'll be a, something moving, and it'll rise them up a little bit, and they know that mm. something displacing water around them. Mm. They're in it, and they feel it. And I gotta think that that's how Norrin Rad is in space. One hundred percent. And I mean, I think along with that, there's also this this knowledge, even if you don't do it, that like so much of surfing is just about stillness. Right. There's so Mm -hmm. much of surfing is about the calm before you get into, you know, into the rip curl or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's like that feeling of just having to to know what everything feels like to trust you know, that proprioception. It's not about mm-hmm. what you're seeing or smelling or hearing. It's it's literally like that weird, uncanny sense that takes place in the inner ear and hits the back of your brain. Like there's mm-hmm. something primal and interesting about that. So it's like, it doesn't feel like, 
maybe that's the maybe that's the difference between flying where it's like if i'm flying at light speed it just feels like i'm shot out of a gun and it's all motion 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 in a straight line but the very act of surfing is about like no i'm i'm becoming one with this thing that exists outside of me and i need to respect it and feel it and be a part of it in order to move and like that's mm-hmm. just cool Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, so that being the case, um, Silver Surfer's uh, surfboard is really hard to beat as as far as a soul instrument. But I Can do I, think... Oh, ahead. sorry. Just, just real quick. I do want to give, um, and they're all Kirby inventions, I want to give special mention that, like, the Silver Surfer surfboard is 100% the best version, but, like, those little discs that Mr. Miracle puts on his feet so that he can fly... Those are also dope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then and then we talked about it last episode, but Orion's Astro Harness, that mm-hmm. weird kind of like half ski, half harness contraption that he rides. I always saw that as functioning very similar to the Silver Surfer surfboard, but almost more like a uh, it's like an elliptical machine as opposed to a board, you know? <laughs> Well, dude, we can't forget the uh, black racer, right? We see, see he's fucking skiing through, yeah. he's skiing through space. See, when you see see the alchemy of the surfboard. The surfboard is just perfect. You yeah. turn the fucking dial a half a degree. You put a little extra sprig of fucking time in there, and the whole soup's ruined. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's crazy. But as far okay, so I'm thinking of space vehicles now, and I think we have to give some of these these space these space assholes these mm. these ships. We got to talk about some of these ships because I do think that sometimes a ship is um, emblematic of what the thing is. Like for me, all the Star Trek Enterprises, but I don't want to really bore anybody with all the different ones. But the whole concept of like we all live here. Yeah, and we go into adventures, and when fuckers shoot us with torpedoes, we jostle all around. Because I guess you know, as the as the old joke goes, we forgot seatbelt technology a long time ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's something about that to me. It's intriguing to me, and more intriguing than the Millennium Falcon. Full stop. One hundred percent. I mean, I, so I've got an interesting anecdote about this. When I was in college, I played football in college, and when we would go on the road. Um, I was the backup quarterback. I would room with the starting quarterback and he and I were friends. And so like, you know, at night after you're done with your meetings or whatever, before you go to sleep, you're just watching, you know, you're in the room, you're watching TV. So one day, uh, we're just flipping through channels and next generation comes on and he asks me if I've ever watched it. I'm like, you know, I never really got into it, but like, I'm very aware of Star Trek. And he's like, oh, my dad and I used to watch this all the time when I was a kid. I think I've seen every episode. And somehow the conversation turned to the fact that the Enterprise had like a thousand people on it. And that blew my mind because <laughs> I had never watched Star Trek. And so to me, it was always just the crew that the stories were about. And mm-hmm. he then got very animated telling me like, no, it's like they have an entire society aboard this ship. And that's why being the captain is such an important thing because you're literally like the steward of this little mini society and you have to keep all these people safe. <laughs> and honestly, like I thought about that for like weeks after learning. <laughs> I was like, holy <laughs> fucking shit. That's dope. <laughs> 
<laughs> that you know what I am very happy about that because obviously when somebody's a died in the wool Star Trek head they get indoctrinated to that and that's they you know that's part of it for them yeah. but that being you know broken down to you and you being able to appreciate it that really gives me hope that maybe someday somebody <laughs> will have the verbiage to break down like I don't know any of that magic shit, you know, instead of like, dude, um, let me just break it down for you. And I'd be like, wow, that blew my mind. You mean the souls from the Skababada Bab won't get back into the scuba de boo? Foo boom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I get, it. I get it. It's like that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Danny DeVito just doesn't get the gay thing until he watches Mac do like an interpretive dance. And they just zoom in on his face. I get it. I get it. I That's, get it. It's going to be Ed and me with magic. Oh my God. Jeez Louise. Because, like, yeah, a dude with, in charge of a thousand lives and all of those people's lives. It, I'm not trying to be. Ah. In Star Trek, every fucking body does what they can do to the greatest of their ability, especially if they're in um, Starfleet. Because that's what their job is. Their job isn't to like loaf around or make a salary. Nobody's trying to get retirement because there's no money. Mm-hmm. Everybody on that ship is the greatest and the best of whatever the fuck they do. You know what I'm saying? I'm the best push these three buttons guy. Yeah. I'm the best engineer. I'm the best. I'm the best. A thousand of the best. And then sometimes motherfucker shoot your ass with a torpedo and 35 of them get sucked out in outer space. It just is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's such a gravitas to Star Trek that I don't think people get because if they concentrated on all those people that got sucked out all the time, when they say I got it, when, when the motherfuckers say there's a hole breach, that means 35 motherfuckers minimum got sucked into space. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was one of the things I appreciated about the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies is like they really did maybe gratuitously, but they showed the collateral damage of like when the Enterprise mm-hmm. gets damaged, like there's mm-hmm. people getting fucked up. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a city. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm into those. But if we are gonna talk about something like the Millennium Falcon, I will just bow all the way down to both the design of most Star Trek ships. I just mm-hmm. that big saucer and the and the nacelles on the side. Just uh, and I think uh, nacelles, nacelles, whatever you say. Uh, yeah. Those come from like Navy, I guess, technology, like these outboard motors or something, and they just put it on spaceships. Yeah. That's that's such a cool idea. Like to keep it nautical, you know what mm. I'm saying? Like there's so, again, space is the ocean. I think we're establishing a theme here for some of these ships, you know, because yeah. uh, that's why we call them ships. Obviously, I'm not a dumbass, but I'm just saying, like it, the more nautical space is, the cooler space is. Is all I'm mm. saying. And I that think really, uh, that yeah. really bucks against uh, the opening line of my graphic novel, but the, <laughs> which. which, which <laughs> Which points out how the only reason we compare space to the ocean is because we are stupid. But that, but that, but that's it's what we can it's what we can liken it to because other than the ocean, space is unfathomable. Yeah, we it's have like, no it's, that that sort of emptiness, and even and we know that the ocean isn't empty. We are terrifyingly sure the ocean is not empty. Sure, but space is terrifyingly empty, which is why we made up aliens. I'm going to gloss over that point, but you know what I'm saying? Because uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? Because space is terrifyingly empty. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So I, I just, I'm not saying we made up faster than regular craft that are unidentified and flying around. I'm not mm-hmm. saying we made up that. I think we might have made up aliens to to make it just you know to make it less lonely. Hundred percent. 
You know what no, I'm saying? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I mean, getting back to the Enterprise, I have always appreciated that design. Like even before, even when I knew nothing about Star Trek. And, you know, obviously I didn't grow up a Star Trek head because I made it to college not even knowing how the ships worked. But that the saucer with the two nacelles out the back is such an effective vehicle design because it's like it's like nothing else you've ever seen. It was mm. like nothing else you've ever seen when it was created. And it's like nothing else that you've seen since because it's such an iconic design nobody's going to rip it off because you you literally can't rip it off without being super obvious that you're ripping it off. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm going to stay really far away. I love stuff like that that is so unique in its design while still feeling functional, you know, feeling like, well, this isn't just complete nonsense. It's not like they're traveling space in a giant cube, which is the Borg. But anyway, you know, <laughs> but... I, that to me is the mark of a really great vehicle as well. Like it is, it is so singular that it doesn't recall anything before and nothing since has even attempted to come close. Well, you know, what's interesting about, uh, it, I think you touched on it when you talked about the Borg ship in space, nothing has to be aerodynamic. Mm-hmm. Every single cool spaceship design is aerodynamic. Mm-hmm. Every single one. Maybe a so-called uh, slave one or whatever from uh, Boba Fett, which has a, that sort of flat fly forward design. Maybe yeah. not that one, but most other ships that are cool in spacefaring shit, they look aerodynamic. The fucking X-Wings look like they'd handle themselves pretty good in an upper atmosphere. They look like the apotheosis of Top Gun jets, yeah. so on and so forth. Uh, in the TIE fighters, all the kind of shit. I just think it, an aerodynamic design is part of it even though it's not needed. It's like, it's like a, it's again, it's like the ocean thing. It's like, you got to bring it down to people's like lizard brain. Yeah. And you know, you know, I mean, star Wars, it's breaks so many rules about space travel anyway, but like just the fact that all those ships also operate in the atmosphere, I think sort of demands that they look like craft mm-hmm. that fly in an atmosphere, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it would be weird if, Because, I mean, even going back to the original, like the TIE fighters that took out the Death Star launched out of an atmosphere. It's not like they're, you know, Mm -hmm. launching out of a bigger craft that's just hanging up in space. So it would be weird if you're flying out just, you know, strange, tumbling, scaffolded, asymmetrical nonsense. That's the new hot shit. I'm going to fucking debut that. That's hot. Like a fucking, you, you make a space where like the space vehicles, like something aerodynamic drags this lunk into outer space and chucks it. And then it just turns on all these weird engines and boosters. It goes. I mean, I kind of love that. Like, to be honest with you, that's why I, one of my most iconic space vehicles is uh, the Discovery from 2001. <laughs> nice Which, nice you know one of the more realistic space vehicles and uh, i think that that's i think that that's awesome just because i do think it does a disservice to the general public's understanding of like what space is and how it works to see what are essentially like fighter jets just seamlessly transitioning from flying in the atmosphere to flying at light speed through space like yeah, yeah, it yeah. looks cool but we need to start doing more work in our fiction because like at this point we know enough about space and space travel is becoming bizarrely common, you know, with the rise of mm-hmm. SpaceX and related companies. Mm-hmm. Like 
I think it would do well for more of us to have a more innate understanding of what space is and how space travel works. So mm-hmm. I do have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder against spacecraft that look like planes. And so for that <laughs> reason, like I'm, I'm big on something like uh, the Discovery, um, even something like the, the ship from Christopher Nolan's Interstellar, which obviously does have a plane element that detaches and lands and then mm-hmm. somehow is able to launch again. So I don't like that. But the fact that the vehicle that they're traveling <laughs> in is essentially, you know, a rotating habitat with segments that, you know, all form a circle. And that's dope. I like that. Well, I mean, the the, the discovery is so cool. It's like it looks it looks like a bone. Yeah. It looks like it's got these bulbous, this bulbous um, situation going on with it. Um, I also think that I mean, I love a bulbous, weird spaceship, which is I just got to give it up. I really got to give it up to the best, the, the probably the the first best star spaceship for me, second most favorite for me in Star Wars, and that is the Millennium Falcon. We got to talk about it because it looking like like a Pac Man and like the cockpit being off to the side and all that shit. That shit is so fucking fresh, yeah. And like the 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 blazing hyperspeed uh booster array around it it's like a rounded well of energy busting out the back to shoot it oh god i love that i love it so because fresh obviously like all the vehicles in star trek operate on some completely impossible you know um thrust aerodynamic whatever the hell you want to call it you made so, star wars but yeah oh, it's cla- sorry. classic misspeaking <laughs> sorry i do mean star wars um so I would much rather see something like the Millennium Falcon that just has like the long curved rectangle of pure ionic energy or whatever the fuck, as opposed to something that just looks like a jet turbine. Like give right. me that all day. I love that. Right. Right. And, and just, I just think how it's just apportioned, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like how it's like the front things, I guess, dock on shit. Cause I guess it's like a cargo ship. So they like grab docks and grab stuff, whatever the fuck. Yeah. yeah. It's just really cool. And I and it also looks so still freighter like, but still fast. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because obviously the story points are it's so fast, it does this and that and all this kind of stuff. But it just has a when it's flying around with a bunch of smaller fighters, you see that it is slower than them, but it is still maneuverable enough to pull off some hot shit. Yes, I also love the fact the interior. Has is sort of designed as like a Taurus. Like there's a main hallway that just sort of runs in a circle mm-hmm. around the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of cool because I think so often the interior of spaceships are so kind of oblique. Like it's just compartments with ladders and platforms. And like <laughs> you don't really understand how it fits inside the ship in any appreciable way. The fact that like the interior of the Millennium Falcon actually feels like, oh yeah, I see how that fits the space is cool to me. I like that. Yeah, like it, it makes it it makes sense. Um, we're not going to talk about any Fast and the Furious cars because they just all blend together. They just find a new super yeah. fresh car every minute. And I just I had to watch. I had an assignment to write a like a uh, a video that basically told the story of Fast and the Furious in five minutes okay. for people who were going to watch the newest one. And boy, that assignment almost killed me. That was that time. Remember, I told you I stayed yes. up like all night. Yes, I you were. I, dude. Yeah, you you burned a weekend like in in 
obvious angst over whatever you were working on we didn't know at the time but yes oh my god i fucking had to watch all of them and you think you could just skim through or no you have to watch all of them because there's a lot of shit going on yeah there's they're fairly dense movies for being as mindless as they are oh my god that's perfectly stated damn that's a soundbite for your ass (laughs) (laughs) because damn you are absolutely correct i ended up summarizing the last one and then the note that i got back was you summarized all of this fucking plot and you didn't even emphasize that they went into outer space in a car. And I was yep. like, okay, I mentioned it, but there was a lot of other stuff going on. <laughs> I was trying to give everything equal gravitas because, you know, Dom's long lost brother came back. It was a oh, whole yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, I, I know. Here's the only thing I'll say about Fast and Furious even Dom's car. Whatever that, I don't know the make and model of the car, but whatever that black car with the giant engine block coming out the hood is, mm-hmm. even that is not very impressive to me. Like, it just feels like the most obvious generic choice for that guy. Like, oh, we've got a meathead muscle man who's <laughs> kind of a bad boy. Give him a fucking black muscle car with a huge engine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean that the the nineteen seventy Dodge Charger I looked it up uh, okay. is fucking badass. I mean, geez, if you have one of these in perfect working order, and it also is um, the exact same car as the General Lee, just painted uh, different. Oh, that's see, e- even that kind of pisses me off, though. You know, <laughs> even that does kind of piss me off. But go on, because uh, it's got because uh, the engine is coming out of it. Because it's like so this one. And that one jumps too. You would think it would throw off its center of gravity. Anyway, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> arguing physics in a Fast and Furious movie, I'm the dumb one. Um, <laughs> it may so, as well be Star Wars, bro. <laughs> like, ab- absolutely. Oh, speaking of which, I gotta give I gotta give honorable mention. And I know this is crazy, but I always I love Mandalorians, and they're always gonna come up now that I love them. Mm-hmm. I love their jetpacks. I think they're cool. Mm. Their jetpacks have offensive weapons in them. Mm-hmm. And they have Beskar armor on so that you can they put on some metal draws so they don't burn the butt cheeks off with the with the exhaust. I don't care where the thrust comes from. I don't care. I yeah. don't care. Yeah, uh, and uh also I think the fact that they are a defensive weapon as well. That you can like send somebody a shield by throwing their jetpack over towards them or something. Or you could turn your back and get hit in your hit in your back in the jetpack. You know, I guess the internal components are way under the best car. So like laser blasts hit the fucking thing, all types. I just think that's so cool. It's like, it's really Mandalorian. It's very useful. It's defensive and it's offensive. It's the ultimate Mandalorian conveyance way more so than any vehicle they could have or any beast they could ride. Yeah. It's the fucking jetpack. The jetpack's the juice. So okay. I just want to give I just want to give it I just want to give it its its own props because normally I fucking hate jetpacks. I think jetpacks are fucking dumb. See, that's Most interesting because I I do love the Rocketeer's jetpack. No, okay, yeah, the rock. See, the Rocketeer jetpack is kind of the fantasy I'm talking about, where your whole ass will be burnt off. Sure, but the but the romanticism of it, Dave Stevens' artwork, yes, uh, even to a certain extent, Joe Johnston's and them's movie uh, based on it. I I get it. Trust me, I get it. I, it's it's honestly it's just a combination of that super sleek kind of art deco design to the jetpack the fact that it is you know notwithstanding that it would burn your ass off 
it is like a functional piece of equipment that can be damaged, can run out of gas. Like they're mm-hmm. constantly having to patch it up and refuel it and this and that. Mm-hmm. I like that about it. It's, it's a vehicle that has limitations that they use to create story elements. And that I think is cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think shout out to, uh, I guess the, I guess the guy in ex machina had a jetpack too. It's pretty fresh. I, th- I think he ended up flying and like say trying to. I think he ended up doing some stuff to stop like nine eleven or something in the story. Oh. So I think he had a, he definitely had a jetpack. I thought you meant I thought you meant Ex Machina the movie with Oscar <laughs> Isaac. <laughs> I was like, when was Oscar Isaac in a jetpack? <laughs> he's like he's like, he puts on the jetpack. Hey, don't fuck my robot while I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> See, you know what's funny about that? Um, the the jet the jetpack notwithstanding, I always thought that that comic series was supposed to be pronounced X Machina because he used to mm-hmm. be the Great Machine. That was his superhero name. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it's spelled the same as the Latin phrase Ex Machina, and there's you know a literary pun there. But I, in my head, I always think of it as that series is Ex Machina. Because he is huh. the X great machine. You know what? You're right. <laughs> I call it uh, Mama called him Clay. I would call him Clay. <laughs> Dude, comic book stuff is so funny. Um, yeah. so as far as uh, as far as flying and jumping and stuff, we did kind of brush over the Batmobiles. I do yeah. want to give them their their section because I think your favorite Batmobile it says something about you. So, like Dirk Diggler and Reed Rothschild, that's one, two, three. Say our favorite Batmobile. I'm just joking. Uh, what, what is what is your favorite Batmobile though? If you if you have the vast array, and I'm talking about ones from comics, even sure. our audience is nerdy, nerdy enough to remember Jim Aparo's black hooded, yeah, um, with, and, and yeah. that you know uh, uh, the, the headlights um, are essentially the eyes on the Batman silhouette that came up the mm, hood. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's not that one. I mean, for me, it's the Tim Burton Batmobile. The Tim Burton Batmobile is just sick as fuck. Like <laughs> that, that is the Batmobile for me now and forever. Um, which is to take nothing away from the many great design variations that have existed across different media. But like, there's just something about that. That is such a cool combination of like badass looking, but also simple and it looks functional, but also kind of fantastical. Like I just fucking love it. And you can play with it, you know, change it up a little bit. But just that that central design of the hood that slides forward on top of like what looks like a rocket body with those two very swooped um, chassis elements that come down to mm-hmm. the to the front with the big ass uh, rocket engine in the back. Like, I just love everything about it. I love that Batmobile. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I I really tr- I. I respect its design, but it's just, just so many elements about it in its world that just piss me off. The fucking shoot a fucking grappling hook to turn a corner type sure. shit. I'm just sure. like, Jesus, man, you can't pick a Mobetta car than that. <laughs> you can't even court. You're going to drive it in it. urban areas. You're not just driving under your estate, buddy. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I got to say, I was never, ever a big fan of a Batmobile that couldn't not necessarily blend in with traffic, but just it is faster than traffic and it is cooler than traffic some kind of way. And it can like maybe turn all the 
turn, you know, send a jamming signal and make, you know, big straightaways for him to blaze down or just something like that. Like it's a really cool car and it's armored up more than a regular car, but it's just super cool. That's why I love the Batmobile in the, uh, in the latest, the Batman. Oh yeah. I just think I was just going to ask. So like as far as live action goes, the Batman has to be your greatest. I think that's the one because it's just, it's, it's not unassuming at all, Mm -mm. but it is, like real it comes from like a real place and it's batness is from you rorschach testing your mind on it you know what i'm saying it's it doesn't have all this traditional bat crap all over it it's like you look at it and it kind of does look like a bat with its swoopness and it's like it's cocky stance in the back you know it's kind of got like a bat folding its wings or something but you got to do that you got to do a little bit of the work you know and there's something i like about that I will say that Batmobile was the first I've seen that had a realistic suspension on it. Like yes. that's the, the fact that it was kind of lifted, the fact that when it moved and when it, when it jumped like that thing mm-hmm. bounced, you know, mm-hmm. I I'd never seen a Batmobile do that. So I was, mm-hmm. I was super into that. Yeah. And, and like I said, it's not my, even my favorite like Batman movie, but that Batmobile is funky fresh. And yeah. I just think there's something to that. Uh, honorable mention, I remember when they tried this in the comic books and it was, it should have been so cool, but it, it, I'll explain in Nightwing, Chuck Dixon hmm, and Scott McDaniel did a great run of Nightwing and in it, um, Nightwing was a bloodhaven cop in the daytime and did when the fuck does motherfucker sleep? I don't know. Mm -hmm. So he was Nightwing at night, bloodhaven cop during the day. And he also was working at a bar or something. I don't know. Jesus. Chuck Dixon had this fool doing a lot of shit. Yeah. Uh, he was like 90s era Spider-Man. This motherfucker <laughs> had 18 jobs. Right. <laughs> He's like the head from a living color. He's a doctor, a lawyer, a coal miner. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, uh, he had a Batmobile or a Nightwing mobile, but it never had one super iconic look to it it had like a it it was a super fresh engine that was super powerful and super everything but it had you could load different um bodies onto it so it Mm. could be a taxi cab it could Mm. be a you know any number of discrete vehicles then you could kind of load a heavy muscle car body that was sort of armored on it and that was more or less a nightwing mobile that's i thought that was so fucking cool it's such a good idea you know, for a superhero, but but again, the one thing it's lacking is as cool as that is for us grown-ups, kids want the nightwing yeah. car with a with a with an eagle on the front front looking like Smokey and the Bandit. They want that. It's better to them. That's it's that's better. the thing. You you if you're gonna do that concept, you need to have like the real body. You know what I mean? Like right, sure. Right. It can double these other things, but when you put the one with the fucking logo on, that's when mm-hmm. you know he means business. You know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's that's when he's not fucking around with you guys. Right. Um, and I do just want to, I just want to give some props. I again, the Nolan movies aren't my favorite either, and I know it says like I don't like any Batman movies, but you know, Batman is Batman lives in your heart. Yeah. Uh, so nobody, nobody will ever get somebody's perfect Batman down. But I do have some reverence for the Tumblr because I never liked the tank-like Batmobile because mm. I envisioned it being sort of slow or at least eighteen wheelery, and right. I didn't like that. I thought right. I thought like a big Optimus Prime looking ass Batmobile, the whole Frank Miller Dark Knight thing. I liked it because in that world he needed a tank because he was fighting such big shit. 
But as a, a everyday workaday Batmobile, I never thought the tank aesthetic was cool. I hate it when I saw it in BVS because it wasn't even needed in there. It didn't do anything with it at all. It was so stupid. Yeah. But then the tumbler comes along and I'm like, it's fast and it's nimble and it's the very definition of what his car should be. It should be able to like shoot EMPs and knock out all the fucking lights or whatever. I'm, I'm not that they're all kind of anyway. He should be able to do something to knock out all the lights. He should be able to and zip past people in the dark. He should be able to jump over them with a turbo boost. He should be able to jump even over buildings and on building. Did you jump it on buildings with your fucking car? I was going to say, no, I was going to say like, if anything from Batman Begins really holds up and like sings the tumblers praises, that rooftop car chase sequence is so dope, especially because I think all of us, you know, our ideal version of Gotham is one that has like the multi-level highways that kind of snake through the city and really make it like this claustrophobic kind of spider webbed place. So fuck yeah, of course the Batmobile should be able to drive over rooftops if he needs it to. I love that. It just makes sense. And plus, we know he does not give a fuck about people's personal property. So this is uh, this is firmly established in that world. Like from the get go, he was like, fuck your couch. (laughs) 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 He's just fucking your whole world up. He was Rick James Murphy's house. (laughs) Yep, Dude, blouses, uh, capes. (laughs) Dude, you know, you know, it's an interesting point about the Batmobile, though. I would almost say, I don't know that the Batmobile has ever been cool in the comics. It's it's interesting that you say that because it is more a crime lab and just A to B situation in the comics. It, there's hardly ever like, damn, I got to reprogram this aspect of the Batmobile to get out of this situation or uh, the Batmobile is going to circle around and fuck these dudes up while I do X. It's like maybe one gag like that, but like it isn't the tool that tornado the horse is. (laughs) Right. I will say this too. Like the only design of the Batmobile from the comics that has really stuck over the ages is that original design that, you know, has like the bubble dome um, seating area and then like the big sort of battering ram bat head on the front. And it looks like an old Studebaker. And like that has continually shown up notably in the killing joke. And then like, again, you know, even up to modern runs, not that he's driving it all the time, but you'll see it in the background of the bat cave mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Outside of that though, there hasn't been that, you know, Star Trek, uh, disc with the nacelles kind of oh man this is the design that just everybody Mm -hmm. agrees this kicks ass like the batmobile has been so many things and has vacillated between like just a car the jim apparel one that you mentioned comes to mind where it like yeah it just looks like a sports car with a bat head painted on the on the hood (laughs) Uh all the way up to things that are like maybe cool but also kind of throw away like every time jim lee draws the batmobile it's a little bit like okay it's like it's a cool technological <laughs> car but you're gonna draw it for like three panels and like then we're, we're moving on you know yeah then it's gonna get fucking blown up <laughs> yeah yeah dude, uh, you know what the one uh and people can look it up look up norm brayfogel's batmobile mm. that fucking thing was weird that thing looked like an electric shaver or something. And it had like these big swoops on the back and it had like a, uh, some sort of bat, uh, bat like eyes in the front of it and stuff. 
Okay. So fucking weird looking, but it really went with that time and Norm Brayfogle's like art style. Like it, it really complimented the way he, he drew the Cape and it just, and that was during the time where he had like this weird, like, literal hunchback doing a bunch of mechanic work and his like right. who the fuck what was that I, guy's name yeah i, I can't remember i can't remember I lost lost to time probably something simple like todd or something yeah right. <laughs> todd todd the hunchback <laughs> <laughs> well now i'm just thinking of todd from wedding crashers which is a whole <laughs> batman's got todd from wedding crashers in his crack cave. <laughs> oh god Oh, but yeah, the, his his was like uh, yeah. It just, Harold, it, sorry, it just came to me. Harold, Harold, that hunchback. Harold, yes. and Norm Brayfogle's. Uh, yeah, but like you saw a picture of it, right? It yes. looks like an electric shaver. It has these extra. It looks like Knight Rider in Super Pursuit mode. Yeah, you know what I'm saying kind like of, like yeah. it, it, like it's got like it's like trying to stop air. It's, 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 it's not the and I, like I said, Norman Brayfogle is a great and a genius and one of the people who put a stamp on Batman forever for me. He might yeah. draw the when I just think of a picture of Batman in my head, it might as well be a Norman Brayfogle Batman. But like that Batmobile is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's, it, it's like a Ferrari with a bunch of weird shit, like just. <laughs> Paste it all over it, you know? Right. It's, it's like yeah. the ultimate, like, kit car, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but speaking of kit cars, uh, well, people of my generation got to got to get their fix as I talk about kit. Because I got to say, obviously, this show is silly. It had a white man with an afro, romancing chicks across the Southwest. Um, and he, <laughs> he used to drive his supercar up into a mobile um, mechanic station that was inside of a uh, um, an eighteen wheeler. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it just there was so much weird shit about it. A guy in a car doing good with no gun or anything. All this jazz, but Kit is fresh as fuck. And I'll go. I'll die. I'll die on that hill. That Kit is fresh as fuck. Just the concept of a of a, a basically a Pontiac a a. a, a at the time, a sort of concept Pontiac. That's it. Yeah. Sort of a concept Pontiac driving yeah. around, but it's the best car in the world. I think in our goddamn reboot it, we did with fucking Billy Business. Nobody got it. Oh, I dude. think in a lot of different stuff, nobody gets it. It isn't that the fucking car is so dope. The point is it's so dope in an undercover way. Mm-hmm. And it's so dope in that particularly 80s way. Like it had all the stuff. That that we have now in cars, like you know, uh, you know, cameras, and it had, um, you know, self drive. Obviously, although mm-hmm. it could, it your like fucking tes- car. It was yeah. like a Tesla, but in the eighties, right? And yeah. but but also, it was like again a thousand times better than a Tesla because if you tell your Tesla to come bust through the fucking wall and flatten these guys that are holding machine guns on you and some hot bitch, your fucking Tesla can't do that. But Kit true. can. That's true. Okay. <laughs> So like what the fuck? I, I, the whole time we were talking and people kept likening it to cars. Right now, the Tesla can't cross the street without hitting five kids. So like, Kit was a precision instrument that was better than a horse, mm-hmm. uh, and more reliable than a friend. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, it just was. It just as a concept, I just really dug this thing that's like alive but it's learning more and more about how to be alive and you're part of educating it and some kind of way it's part of educating you 
Yeah. And it's forming its personality off of you. And you're like forming a friendship with this fucking car. And some of the stuff I write in the future, you're going to be like, wow, you really took that to heart. I, I like it. I think it's cool. I think it's cool. I think it's a cool concept to, to bond with something like that. And last things last, again, the incognito part of it. It's an indestructible car. It has all these offensive and defensive capabilities. And it has turbo boost. Mm-hmm. So it can get anywhere it wants to go. It's fast enough to get there. And when it gets there, it's coming hard to the motherfucker. And it's busting through walls. And it's just hard as fuck. And it looks like a production car. It doesn't have any super crap coming out of it, which is why Super Pursuit Mode was dumb as fuck. You don't <laughs> monkey with it. It's a regular production car that is superhuman. That's the point. Or supercar in it. <laughs> no, I, I get it, man. And it's also it's a very utopian take on AI, you know? It's just yeah. it's just gonna be there to bust through walls to save us from the bad guy and have some <laughs> witty repartee. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I I agree with that assessment. I mean, I some also- of the best episodes Kit got scared or Kit, Kit refused to do something, you know. But anyway. Uh, I just had to give special special uh, props to if we're going to talk about the goddamn General Lee, we're going to talk about the black car. That's listen, <laughs> that's the I, best. I'm with you. I was just going to say, in a lot of ways, all the things you appreciate about Kit makes it an even better version of any James Bond car. Right? Yes. Because the James Bond cars are all about like they look like regular cars, but you push a button and now, you know, whether it's like we're dropping an oil slick or the machine mm-hmm. gun comes out or it's bulletproof or whatever, like mm-hmm. Kit does all that while also being your best friend. Exactamundo. Yeah. Um. All right. I want to get into some really weird esoteric ones. I've got a couple loaded up that are favorites mm-hmm. of mine. So I'll go first and you could kind of mm-hmm. think. I am not like a diehard fan of this show. I know there are people that are, and so I'm not going to try to get into the minutia of it, but I do think the TARDIS is a really dope idea. And it definitely fits that, that description of like, it is singular to this show and it's like nothing that came before it. And nobody afterward has tried to rip it off because it is so singular. And that idea of like, it's a blue phone booth, essentially. I know it's the police box, but like in American terms, it's essentially a blue phone booth that is a hypercube. So when you enter it, it has more dimensionality inside of it than you see from outside. And Mm -hmm. so like the fact that you have a bonkers sci-fi TV show and the vehicle in which they travel is a bonkers sci-fi idea. Boom, that's already great. And then the fact that you're doing sort of the kit thing with it, right? Like mm-hmm. it looks unassuming. It's it can blend in. It doesn't look like you're landing a spaceship on the front lawn. It just looks like an everyday thing. I really appreciate and enjoy that. I think it's great. You know what? I I love the fact uh, the dimensionality thing is cool. Again, anything hiding in plain sight gets over on me. I have to give Doctor Who more of a chance. It's just that it, I think it's kind of it. It's like getting into anime, you know, it's like no, I, I five completely. billion episodes. Yeah, I agree completely. I've watched some of it. I've I've never disliked it, but it, it feels daunting to like start. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Which is how people feel with comic books, and then we berate them, or at least 100%. I do. No, <laughs> I I don't because I get it. But like, yeah, I, I think that's the nature of anything that has like a long running super nerdy fandom. Like, it's just overwhelming in terms of like I feel the same way even about professional wrestling. Like, I don't want to get into professional wrestling, but if I did, I'd be like, well, like. Do I have to catch up on backstory? Like I don't get it. So, yeah. um, Who's this new guy, Hulk uh-huh. Hogan? I wonder if he'll get big later. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um. That that is funny. If somebody literally went and did professional wrestling from like a gorgeous George on 1950s television all the way up to the fucking NWO era and then the Attitude era and then the, the, this new stuff. Yeah. And they just did it as like catching up on a series. Right. That would be wild as fuck. I mean, that's some dedication. Like, yeah, that would be that would be a little a little much. <laughs> <laughs> well, now speaking of uh, a little much, I was uh, going to prof, uh, proffer Optimus Prime as one of the best vehicles, but nope, he's got to no. go in our best robots. He's got to go in our best robots episode. Absolutely, that's a so, whole yeah. other episode. Yeah, just got to drop a drop a tease for that episode coming down the pike because we're definitely going to get into best robots and what that means. But wrapping up vehicles here, uh, you wanted to, esoteric. Huh. I got I got one more. While you, yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll vamp a little while you marinate. Mm-hmm. So. This is for a character that we are very much on record as not liking for a variety of reasons. The (laughs) one cool thing that I ever thought DC Comics did with The Flash was the cosmic treadmill. (laughs) And I'm sorry, the, the idea that The Flash can race through time and dimensions just on his own sucks balls. But the minute... You create a sci-fi <laughs> MacGuffin that is yep. powered by his power. Like, all right, you you can run fast, and that's what you do. But with a little techno wizardry, we can use the power of your running to mm-hmm. power this sci-fi device, and suddenly it's a time machine. That is dope as shit mm-hmm. because it suddenly loads you up with possibilities that come with problems. What if we use the cosmic treadmill to travel to the year 1500 and then the fucking thing breaks? We can't repair the cosmic treadmill in 1502. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it suddenly makes it dangerous to go out and have adventures. And the fact that like it's another one of those things that's calling it a treadmill. I always felt was like just, you know, it's just cheeky shorthand, but it's mm-hmm. literally like nobody except maybe Superman could power this machine except the flash with the power of his speeding legs. And so we have to figure out a way to turn that into a power source. And so, you know, it's a belt on a treadmill. Dude, call it the cosmic conveyor. (laughs) That's not bad. That would have been tight as fuck. The cosmic conveyor. Yeah, yeah, dude, because it conveys yeah. you to the. Come on, man. Yeah, dude. Medium yeah. bucks. I'm telling you, I deserve the fucking medium bucks. <laughs> I fucking deserve it. It's both a conveyor belt and it conveys you places, dude. Bam, bam. <laughs> Throw your dick on the table. Drop the mic. <laughs> um. Oh, you know, uh, I don't know how esoteric it is, but I gotta say, the Mach Five from Speed Racer 
is so sick looking. Yes. yes. It's such a great. It's it's rolling by just now. I, I'm hearing it, it in the background. It, yes, dude. It's it's such a great design, and the fact that it had like little pogos that would boing out and make it pop over stuff. Just, uh, I just all types of shit about it was fresh, and that's why I'm so sad I didn't like the Speed Racer movie mm-hmm. or that Speed Racer movie wasn't more like ford versus ferrari maybe <laughs> i mean yeah. i know i mean not like it's going to be a dad movie with like you know shot and michael bay uh um you know twilight time or golden hour shots all the time with these fucking ferraris going around a circle not that boring but a little bit of that aesthetic a little bit of a cold trickle you know days of thunder a little bit of you know a heightened reality yeah where something. you know well, yeah something that feels like you you get the visceral sense of like the tires on the pavement and like the the wind being cut through and you know not just right. sort of like this video game world yeah. exactly you, you you need it as as adventurous and brave and blah 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 as the as the as the aesthetic of that movie was one thing it was not was visceral right and any depiction of speed must by def of fucking mission be visceral. You have to feel as though it's happening to you. Mm. That was the triumph of things like uh, Top Gun Maverick, certainly, mm. and and stuff. You know, you, you kind of feel as though that stuff is happening. It's cut in a way. It's not the. It's you know, not the beginning of Quantum of Solace. Even though I found that more affecting than a lot of people, yeah. just the, the just the disorientation of of being all the different RPMs of the different cars chasing the different people down the different you know uh, winding roads. That was fucking cool, but. Yeah. If it's rendered more coherently, you get something like you got in Top Gun Maverick or some of these other movies about speed where you feel the, the speed, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you feel so that, perhaps yeah. the need for speed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've just said the Mach 5 deserved a movie. It's called the fucking Mach 5. Yeah. It deserved a movie that depicted speed well. And the fact that you didn't get it, this, people don't even know or like the Mach 5 anymore. They don't remember it. Because, like, I mean, that cartoon was old as shit when I was a baby. So, you know. Yeah. I, um, I mean, the thing about the Mach 5 is, like, the Mach 5 has that sort of untouchable, amazing design that the Batmobile wishes it had. Oh, like, boy. You know what I mean? Like, you're never going to redesign the Mach 5 because, to this day, that car looks fast as shit and cool mm-hmm. as shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it is just the epitome of what a fucking rocket car should look like. And so it it does what the Batmobile, especially in the comics, fails to do, which is just have that beautiful, timeless shape that immediately says, oh, it's this car. Right. And obviously the DeLorean from Back to the yes. Future. Look. Mm. We only we only say it that way because it's a very obvious choice. I know Ed is not as high on Back to the Future as I am, and Back to the Future is an aggressively white movie. (laughs) I'll admit that. No, I mean it's a perfect screenplay that just happens to you know fucking erase, fucking fucking erase the contributions of Chuck Berry Uh in one fell swoop. No, Mm -hmm. but you know what? I I I get it's a cheeky aside. I don't take it as seriously as a lot of people, but I do enjoy that movie as a perfect screenplay. And the fact that the car is something that at the time was utilitarian but unique—it's a brilliant masterstroke of what to put the time machine in. 100%. And I mean, the fact that 
Back to the Future 2 made the modifications where suddenly it had like the garbage fusion engine and the wheels turned in and turned into anti-gravity boosters or whatever. All that that was just too hot. That was just too hot. (laughs) When that shit did that, that blew me away. That was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Where we're going, we do not need roads. I mean, one of the all-time great level ups in pop culture, the DeLorean from one to two. We don't need roads. Absolutely. Um, I also wanted to give some props to um, basically uh, I've been doing all these damn 80s vehicles because I'm old and I, they, my mom sat me in front of, uh, you know, 80s reruns when I was a kid. So uh-huh. the B.A. Baracus van was so cool. <laughs> the 18 van was so cool. Dude, you can't do better than red and black as the colors for your 80s car i see your a-team van and i raise you the scooby-doo mystery machine (laughs) (laughs) dude you know what i love the mystery machine and you know what's interesting about the mystery machine we should draw it because drawing the mystery machine is an is an interesting challenge it isn't shaped it's shaped so fucking weird. The type of vehicle that it actually is sort of a almost large VW van. Yeah. It it's is, no, weird. It, it's shaped it, it, weird. It's somewhere between like um, a conversion van and a Volkswagen van. You're right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's some weird in between, some amphibious in between. And it's a weird thing to draw. I tried to draw it one time. Uh, Jeff Johnson, notorious friend of the show. Uh, he He sent me back my drawing with like, the correct perspective planes on it. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's trying to draw the mystery. I mean, it's a pretty good mystery van, but you're kind of, the moon is kind of weird and the, 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 the horizon is kind of low. And I was like, ah, damn it, Jeff. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, I was just so concentrating so hard on trying to draw the fucking van, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I, it was like in a painting. So I wasn't trying to use any tracing or any bullshit or any, even, even drawing it freehand and then warping it to make it not suck. I had none of that. I had to just draw this motherfucker freehand and it was difficult. I, I, I get it. I get it completely. It drawing the lettering, drawing the lettering as a fucking bear. That's like a Jim Steranko effect on the side of the, (laughs) uh, on the side of the vehicle. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other one that I, I wanted to mention, um, that isn't necessarily my favorite, but it has to come up is the ghostbusters, um, ecto one, yeah. Yep. 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 I was going to mention that in passing, at least it's yeah. an interesting vehicle. It's an interesting vehicle because it has that the whole, the same thing with the proton packs. And we talked about in our weaponry episode, it has a utilitarian slash refurbished. Yeah. Like Jerry there. rigged. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that that is cool. It goes with their aesthetic. If they had a super fresh car, I I hazard to say, if they had a super fresh car and everything else was exactly as it was, I think the movie would be fucked up. I think it would fuck the movie up. If they just showed up in a fresh ass, even a team level van with all kind of hot shit and all that retractable stuff from the toys that they put into the new Ghostbuster movie, yeah. if they had all of that stuff in it, I don't think it's I don't think it would work. No, I agree. I agree with that completely. It's it it does its job. I'll say that it does its job. Yeah, it does its fucking job. Um, a couple other ones that deserve honorable mention. There's a couple motorcycles in comics in particular. I'm gonna go ahead and say 
I have always loved Lobo's motorcycle. <laughs> it, it is dope. It is a space vehicle that makes no fucking sense. Yep. However, the over the topness of Lobo and just the coolness of the design puts it over the top for me. Like, yeah, the, the idea that you have an indestructible, super strong, like planet destroying alien who's essentially traveling around space in like the redneck version of the Silver Surfer's surfboard mm-hmm. that works for me. Yeah, he's he's uh, sons of space anarchy. One hundred percent. Just going around having fun, just a good old boys killing my whole civilization. Now, I, I think what's interesting about uh, Lobo's motorcycle is I love how, in lieu of we- they don't really do wheels, right? So it's just it's got some kind of design that doesn't feel as though it needs wheels but still evokes a motorcycle because of the ape hangers and everything, the way that he he's astride it and everything. But without wheels to still be able to evoke motorcycle is still a pretty big feat. Well, that's why I kind of liken it to the Silver Surfer surfboard because in my mind, that's not a surfboard. It's just a minimalist um, means of conveyance for mm-hmm. a Herald of Galactus. And I sort of think that's what Lobo's bike is. Like, it's not a motorcycle. It's just a minimalist means of conveyance for somebody that, like, doesn't need any protection when he goes out into space. So it's just supposed to, like, look imposing when it's flying up on you for him to destroy your spaceship. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I love that as, as a vehicle. I also think, though, space... I, I think a lot of times we take for granted how silly you would look on anything in space. You know what fair, I mean? Like, like yeah. just him sitting on anything, like even like in like Guardians Two, when Kurt Russell's just standing on like that dirigible that's flying through space or whatever. It's just like so silly. There's something yeah. silly about it, and we like forget it because you're like comic books are great and they really do put us in a whole another uh, a whole another mind frame. Um, as far as terrestrial vehicles, I got to give props to a vehicle that's actually alive. And I talked about it briefly on one of our episodes about, I think the greatest soundtracks mm-hmm. and it is Christine. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Okay. Christine is a great car and, and I'll just I'll bring, I, I got my whole treaties down. It'll be tickling or nothing. The thing is in the book, the car is haunted by this dude who like kills kids or ladies or lady kids, whatever he's a bad guy and he possesses the car and he then starts possessing the kid who buys the car and he's sort of responsible for all this evil and shit that's going on. And he's trying to possess the kid to kind of get a body back to be like living in the kid and then living in his old car used to have. And you know, the haunting cycle is complete. Ha ha ha. Whatever. Yeah. Stephen King's a fucking genius. Coked out son of a bitch genius. Okay. He's sober now. But, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that well, when he wrote this, he was yeah. definitely not. <laughs> so <laughs> so that being the case, I give him all the respect he's due. But that sucks ass. That sucks ass. That is so fucking dumb. It just boggles my mind. But the movie just posits that motherfucker came off the assembly line wrong. Mm. Maybe it tasted blood. 
whatever the fuck, something happened to that motherfucker while it was getting made. And it's just bad to the bone. And it should have got smashed. Somebody should have noticed it when it first killed that guy who was smoking in it. And yeah. they should have noticed when this happened and that happened. They should just smash that motherfucker right then. But it's just been allowed to just be insidious and graft itself onto people and different owners throughout history and different states of disrepair. And it comes back sometimes and it lets itself get dull again so it can hide again. It comes back sometimes. It's an immortal killer. That's a hundred times better. That's a hundred times better. So like, fuck it. When the kid gets the fucking car, right? He sees it and he's instantly attracted to it because it does have that weird Stephen Kingian eldritch magic to it. Right. But it can only harness its full power when you give it love. It's in disrepair. It don't drive. You need to tow it off the plot. But once you get it in the garage, you start massaging that motherfucker. It starts helping you to restore it. There's that classic scene where he's buffing it out or something. And then like a fucking mirror like twists and comes back together. And he goes, well, show me what else you can do. And the fucking car starts putting itself back together. And whatever technology they had back when John Carpenter was directing that movie, they put their foot off in that shit. Whether <laughs> they were making like inflatable, inflatable, but like metal looking parts for them to kind of balloon or whether they were smashing stuff in some kind of stop motion. I don't know. But it looks like the car is really way more than any CGI I've ever seen, really rebuilding itself before your eyes. And last things last, the car, when it gets its full powers back and it's on and it's full of gas and it's ready to help you, to help you to beat the bullies in your life, to help you get the girl you want, to help you be the man you're going to be. All it asks is your fucking immortal soul. <laughs> all, all, all it asks is for you to be with it forever and treat it better than you treat anybody else in your life. And that, my friend, is the Faustian bargain that you make when you restore Christine. <laughs> and the fucking and, and it communicates to you its love, but it only plays oldie stations and it can only communicate through oldie songs. So like if you when the bad guys try to break into the fucking garage and beat up Christine and they try to get open the get the door open, the radio comes on and says, You keep on knocking, but you can't come in. You keep on knocking, but you can't come in. Woo! <laughs> it's fucking little Richard. And then um fucking um when when he forsakes Christine for a girl, he comes back to Christine and Christine won't start. Mm. And when he fucking begs Christine to start and says he'll love her more than anybody, that girl doesn't mean as much to me as you. The car starts and plays, don't know why I love you, love you like I do. Da dum dum da da. It's just, it's so fucking creepy, dude. It's so creepy and so, like, my favorite word, psychosexual. Mm. You know what I'm saying? There's something so fresh about it. And I just think Christine has so much more personality than all these fucking cars we've been talking about. Than fucking Kit, even you know what I'm Fair. saying? Because, yeah. Because there's well, something, literally has more personality. <laughs> it's just there's something insidious about that sort of that sort of mythos grafted onto a vehicle is just perfect. There's something perfect about it. Well, on a metaphorical level too, it is so on the nose. I've often made the statement that car guys are just the male version of horse girls. And like, yes, that's what that movie is about. That like when mm -hmm. you become obsessed with restoring cars and getting into the minutia of cars, thinking that it's going to like make your life better and make you cool and this and that, like you just become a fucking obsessive weirdo. Like that's how the rest of the world sees you. 
No, absolutely. Oh, and look up the car from the Wraith real quick. I know it's before your time, but like, Wraith. dude, it's a fucking car. It's a movie about basically this guy played by, I think, Charlie Sheen gets killed. Okay. And he like comes back as this other kid. And this other kid uh, is like new in town and is just like cool guy, starts ingratiating himself, but he starts making enemies of the same people that the other dead kid made enemies of. And I'm probably misremembering this hella much, so whatever. But the bottom line is he turns out to have this supercar that is like a ghost car and it just like blasts through other people's car. It blows itself up and rebuilds itself. It's, it's a Dude, crazy is, ghost car. This is a badass looking car. It fucking is. Yeah. That fucking car from the Wraith is the shit. Yeah. Look at the, that car is almost the equivalent of like uh fucking the glaive from um mm. from Kroll. Yeah. It is so much cooler than the movie that it's in. <laughs> like I, I see it. No, like this is kind of this is more Batmobile than Batmobile. Like this is just dude. Yeah. That's yeah. why I wanted you to see it, because this shit is like a Batmobile. This shit is tight. And they, they tried to almost make Kit look like this by making him like a, a Pontiac Banshee, I think, in like one of those uh, misshapen um, Knight yeah. Rider reboots they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tried to kind of concept him out, because this car is like obviously a low-key concept car. Yeah, um, I'm looking that up. It's actually – it's a – the Dodge M48 Turbo Interceptor. No, what what is that? Inter yeah, Interceptor. Dodge M48 Turbo Interceptor. It was a concept car that Dodge made of all of all companies. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sick as shit. Wow. That fucking car is sick, dude. Uh, but yeah, as we round out here, um, the vehicle is to me a big deal in the hero's repertoire because as you stated it tells you what their range is it tells you almost like what kind of hero they are do they drive a shitty repurposed thing that they just show up to hotels and shoot shoot chandeliers off (laughs) or does it turbo boost onto the scene or do you slide across the hood if it like fucking um studs and mccurkle or whatever the fuck those dudes were fuck those cops starsky and hutch starsky and (laughs) studs and mccurkle (laughs) That's the show I want to see. But all right. <laughs> Dude, studs. Okay, okay. So McCurkle is like book smart, right? Uh-huh, he's, of course. He, yeah. McCurkle's got round frame glasses and yes. like some curly blonde hair. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh and yeah, and studs, uh, I think studs used to work on a horse farm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he knows horses and he knows cars. But and, uh, he's all, they, but he himself is also a stud, of course. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> and uh, he said, "Hey, I, I've been I've been knowing uh, knowing knowing what a stud is my whole life." <laughs> and he's, he's got also, a wait. Just uh, put a hat on a hat. He's also a carpenter who frames. I knew it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's his that's his traditional outfit. Like he's got it's like. Part cowboy, part carpenter, <laughs> all adventurer in this 80s show. Right? He's, he's got this array of tools. Oh, look at, there'll always be a cowboy or a carpentry thing, or usually a combo. Like he'll have to throw a lasso around a sawhorse <laughs> yeah. and pull it over to do something. 
And the way that Studs and McCorkle get around, they've got a fucking motorcycle with a sidecar. So Studs rides a fucking big motorcycle and McCorkle's in the sidecar. And then McCorkle could be like, disengage and just ride it off as this like independent rocket of doom. He just slams into people. No, it had he can do that, but it has no power of its own. So Stud has to like execute a screeching turn to like throw him off. Yep. Yep, he just and his 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 movers are kind of bobsled it or get down in some he kind of way to down. increase increase the the, the velocity. Oh. Yeah, dude. Yeah, we just made a hit. Damn it. it! Why why weren't we born in the fifties? We could have fucking know, sold that. I, know, <laughs> I mean, we were born in the eighties. Well, we were born in the eighties, but if we were born if we were adults in the eighties, like that would have mm-hmm. ran seven seasons on ABC. No, no question. Oh. Fuck yeah, dude! We'd be we'd be pulling the fucking uh the page out of the typewriter, and throwing it, and it makes a fucking C. <laughs> uh, dude, we'd be fucking geniuses in the eighties because Hardcastle and McCormick is literally just what we said, but like with an old judge and a ne'er do well and one cool car, and that was a whole show, dude. Like our oh, in the is so much better, <laughs> dude. It's so much deeper. <laughs> All right, I want to take us out with one that we haven't mentioned yet, but I think is going to be near and dear to your heart, as it is to mine. Perfect example, perfect uh, example of a vehicle that works within the milieu of the property because it's just sci-fi enough while also being grounded in some version of the real world, and that is the Blackbird from X Men. Damn it, Bill. You'd know how to put the cherry on top of my Sunday. I knew it. Uh, I turned into rogue right there. You see? <laughs> I'll turn into gambit. I knew it, Shell. I knew it. <laughs> oh God, dude. Oh, and dude, and uh, I think that is one of the best vehicles of all time. Number one, I come from the generation a few years older than you. Us kids, man, we had on we had on like some kind of hammer pants. Maybe there were some British knights or some filas that came in there somewhere. Maybe there was a Ferrari or a Porsche 911 or a fucking um, Lamborghini poster on your wall. And if you were one of those kids who had like a military dad or one of those dads who pretended he was in the military or knew a guy in the Navy or some bullshit like that, you had one of those from probably Spencer's Gifts or something fucking sick ass posters of the SR 71 blackbird. It was the single coolest looking fucking thing ever devised to that time. It just was fast, fastest airplane made by man at the time. Like just the epitome of like, Holy shit. We're living in the future type of technology. Yeah. And, and, the, but, but dude, it looks so cool because we know that there's more advanced spy planes since, sure. but they're fucking fugly, man. It's true. Those, those, <laughs> did they fire the Skunk Works design team? Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> those fucking planes are fugly. Put yeah. out some beer goggles, go jump in one of them planes. <laughs> Tom Cruise wouldn't be caught dead in that. <laughs> Hell nah. <laughs> Jennifer Connelly planes are bust. <laughs> but yeah, dude, no. I, the SR-71 was so sexy. And to the point where it had two big butt cheeks. Like it had <laughs> two big butts on the back. And it kind of had this front-loaded kind of penile situation. Like the long nose and the big heavy butt in the back. It was like a 
butt dick. It was crazy. I mean, the 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 profile of that almost looks like a woman. Like it's mm-hmm. almost got an hourglass shape with yeah, yep. big fucking honking jet engines in the back. Yeah. To just denote that just tremendous power again. Going back to we want to talk about Blade's car got horsepower. The SR71 mm-hmm. fly by, like, look, kid. And just <laughs> How also with the X-Men, speaking of the X-Men's one, the one in real life was the best thing ever. And then the X-Men were just like, well, we're going to be in it. And also it's got Shi'ar technology and it can like hover and shit and all this type of shit. Like, damn, this is fresh as fuck. But again, like it was such a smart choice. And I think it was Claremont that probably gave it to them that it was a real plane and so even if you never saw it happen necessarily, you just imagine either they went and fucking stole a spy plane off a military base or they mm-hmm. used some connections to Nick Fury or whomever and they got their hands on an SR-71 Blackbird and then Forge and whoever the fuck else went to work just tricking that bitch out with everything they would need to fight the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And next thing you know, it's underneath the, uh, the basketball court at the X-Mansion ready to go. And like... It is such the perfect combination of like realistic enough, grounded enough, also being like very um, aspirational. Like, like you said, Mm -hmm. it's the sort of thing you want to put on your wall and imagine yourself in, but then also being like gimmicky enough and sci-fi enough and sort of fantastical enough that like it's more than just a real world thing. Like it's Mm -hmm. the perfect synthesis of everything that makes a great vehicle. Yeah, I, I think that's why it's the headliner because it it is all of that. Ah, damn, the SR seventy one Blackbird. And I even remember, and the, and last things last, it was also vulnerable. Like there was there yeah. been many a story where it got shot down or where it crashed in Antarctica and, and fucking Scott's glasses broke or something. <laughs> so he's in Antarctica, he can't see. He's going to shoot Storm's face off, you know. I remember, whatever. I, by the way, I rem- that was issue one of X Men Unlimited, and it was a great yep. story. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, you know, all that type of shit. So it's like it's involved in their lives in mm-hmm. the same way as like, you know, dude, what do you think the Duke boys did when the old, when the General Lee finally gave out? Like <laughs> That's when their like, adventures ended, man. That's when they, they just had they to just, settle down after that. Then they just got fat and started a. Uh, Oh, I'm not even going to say anything else about what they did after that. Um, but like, I, I think it involves red hats. They just sat on the porch wearing red hats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, You're yeah, like, man, right. man, America was better when I was just jumping over the police and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, just imagine the Duke boys being like, oh, well, he should have just consented. You know what I'm saying? You just fucking don't. <laughs> Don't resist, man. I mean, goddamn, what, what, what's so hard about this? Didn't y'all used to lead the police on high-speed chases and jump over cricks and hollers to get away from them? That's in our misspent youth. We that was just, was just boys being boys. Yeah. <laughs> we were just, I mean, did you not hear the theme song? We were some good old boys. We were never meaning <laughs> no harm. Never meaning no harm. <laughs> Dude, oh, man, we're just making our way the only way we know how, and that was just a little bit more than the law would allow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Which describes the fucking X Men too. It's like it's the perfect. The, <laughs> the, the X Men should appropriate the theme of the, of, <laughs> of the Dukes of Hazard because they oh, really shit. are the good old boys who are mostly women. But <laughs> yeah. uh, but dude, uh, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Greatest Pod. We really enjoy your support. You can support us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the Greatest Pod, or you can give us a review for free 
which would help us move up the charts and get on more people's eyeballs and ear holes. And you mm-hmm. can also obviously subscribe to the greatest pod YouTube channel and also follow nerd goat podcast on Twitter. That's our Twitter for the greatest pod nerd goat podcast. And you can send us a letter. Where can they send us a letter or an email? A letter. Who am I? I, I, I this whole theme has a, a Confederate flavor. It's like, oh, my dearest, greatest pod. I was listening to your missives the other day. <laughs> oh, well, if you do want to send an electronic letter to us boys here at the greatest pod, you can you can write to Email thegreatestpod at gmail.com. That is no spaces, no underscores, but include the word email. Email thegreatestpod at gmail.com. And uh, again, thank you for listening to this 500 horsepower, turbocharged, intercepting, armor-plated episode of The Greatest Pod.